Amy. Based on the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, it looks like Peter Parker's in some legal trouble. Yeah, and it seems like he could use a lawyer who knows a thing or two about living a double life. Marvel happens to have one on hand, and his name is Matt Murdock. So while we're on a season break, we're heading back to 2020 to bring you our commentary series on Daredevil Season 1. Just in case Mr. Murdock shows up in No Way Home, we could all use a refresher on The Devil of Hell's Kitchen. We'll be back Monday, November 8th to kick off Season 4 of The Marvelous Madams with an episode on Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> He's bypassing the eyeball. Which, which, and then going in through the orbital socket. Um, should I be you, more graphic? Why, why <laughs> do you know the phrase orbital socket? Why do you even know that? I plead the fifth. Where are the bodies, Amy? Where are the bodies? I plead the fifth. (laughs) Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. This pains me to say, but I have to start this episode with a mea culpa recanting a statement I made in episode one of Daredevil. So in our last episode, which was our first on Daredevil, you had mentioned that you thought Matt's dad kind of looked like Paul Rudd. Right. And I was like, you crazy. And then <laughs> I swear to God, I can't even make this up. I don't know why I have the dreams that I have. But last night... I had a dream where for some reason those two were like split screened in my mind. So my default for thinking about Paul Rudd is always like early 2000s Paul Rudd, Anchorman, like even Parks and Rec Paul Rudd where he's just constantly funny or wearing some like ridiculous disguise or something too. I don't default to like endgame Paul Rudd. All right. But my dream brain did. And I'm... At which point I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I see it a little bit. Yeah, all right. God damn it, she's right. (laughs) It feels so good to hear those words. Yeah, whatever. So good. Enjoy it while it lasts. (laughs) Oh, it's going to keep coming. So this episode, I feel, is even rougher than the first. Am I right? Yeah. So let's start off by saying... It's never good to wake up in a dumpster. Yeah, um, that would be kind of understood, right? You'd think. Although technically, he didn't wake up in the dumpster. He woke up on Claire's couch. Oh, are you really going to split these hairs? Yes. Why? Because it troubles you. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Let me go back and rephrase. It is never good... To find oneself in a dumpster. Better? That is true. Yes. Much better. Thank you. And, you know, I had mentioned the first episode. I completely forgot Rosario Dawson was on the show. And I'm like, right, the nurse, a good Samaritan. And then you're reminding me, no, no, she's a lot more important than that. And it's like slowly drifting back to me. I'm like Gemma when she got her fucking implant removed. (laughs) And again, props to the makeup department on this show. Great job with all of Matt's injuries here. 
Yeah, yeah. Although it's so bloody dark, you can't really see anything. Still, bloody dark is apropos because God knows Matt's got plenty of it all over himself. Yeah, that's true. It's a good thing he wears black. Yeah. Yeah. Easier to get the bloodstains out, yeah. True, and it kind of covers it up as well. Yeah, I love how he just acts like it's no big deal that he's been thoroughly stabbed. <laughs> yeah, well, he is a glutton for punishment, so. Yeah, and poor Claire, she's just like, whoa, 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 buddy. Oh, she is <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but so this is our introduction to her. Yeah, which I think is apt because it very quickly tells us exactly who this woman is. Yeah, and it immediately shows us that she is A, trustworthy, and B, not someone to be trifled with. Definitely. And we see immediately, not only is she a nurse, but she is willing to put herself in harm's way. And this is going to come up later on. Obviously, a guy doesn't end up stabbed in a dumpster for any good reason. Yeah. So it's more than just, I'm a nurse, I took an oath. There's got to be another element here that she's willing to take on certain risks. Yeah. While poor Matt is groaning in misery here, we get another flashback to another Murdoch who's gotten the shit beat out of him. Yes. So while Matt was being stitched up, he quite aptly remembered stitching his dad up. I can't. I just can't. It was well done. Uh, Too well done. That's the problem. Why you got to be so goddamn good, (laughs) daredevil? You're killing me. (laughs) But okay, I have a problem here. You mentioned in the previous episode that Matt's father, he's he's a good dad. He's trying his best and all of that. I get that. But expecting your presumably eight, nine, ten year old kid to patch you up every time you come back home. That doesn't come across as good parenting. And let's not even mention the fact that he tells his son to take a swig of whiskey. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a big problem. Child services isn't going to be giving him a dad of the year trophy anytime soon. No. And as much as he's trying to teach him that you need to study and you don't end up like me, at the same time, he is essentially helping his son to get get a drinking problem. Yeah, I mean, could very well be. And he's also pulling the do as I say, not as I do card. Yeah. Which drives me up a wall. (laughs) Actions speak louder than words. And he really does not comprehend what he is modeling for his son here. Absolutely not. His heart is in the right place, but he's just going about it completely wrong. Absolutely. And it makes me wonder if he ever attempted a different line of work and maybe didn't succeed. And perhaps he kept falling back on boxing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I've been there myself, you know, falling back on childcare. So that could be the situation. Could be. But at least get someone else to patch you up. Don't traumatize your child. Yeah. Or me. Because I can't deal with it. (laughs) At least use a little lidocaine, something, I don't know, anything. Maybe he was afraid that his son would poke him in the eye with the injection? Oh, I meant like a topical. If you trust Ah, your kid to, if you trust your kid to fucking stitch you up, you trust him with a needle. I'm sorry, that, 
There's no difference. That's true. So Jack is very telling with his body language, and it becomes clear to us that he is taking dives for money. But at this point, Matt is too young, too naive to understand that. Or even if he does have an inkling, he won't want to see it. He idolizes his father too much. Yeah, true. And at that age, most people do. At least most boys do. Yeah. While Matt and Claire are busy staunching his myriad of wounds, (laughs) we find a musical Foggy back at the law firm who does not realize Karen is still in the office. (laughs) See, now you have a problem with the sound effects of the show because of the crunching and the tearing of the tendons and whatnot. I have a problem with his singing. He's not supposed to be good at it. I know, but it was a bit... He was too good at not being good. Do you mean he sounds like somebody who can sing, but is doing his best to make it sound like he can't? No, he did a good job being absolutely horrible at it. Well, yeah, that's the idea. He He kind of reminded me of me. (laughs) Maybe that's why it bothered you so much. Probably, He showed you the mirror. (laughs) Yeah, I was triggered. Yeah, but he is adorable. He clearly had no idea she was there. Nearly falls down once he does. (laughs) Yeah, I would do too. They're just so damn cute together. Yeah, they are. And they, they are a necessary distraction in this episode. Because this episode is really, pun intended, dark. Yeah, it is heavy. It's it. It is yeah. heavier than Vincent D'Onofrio in body armor. <laughs> and that ain't no joke. So Karen's not doing so well, which is completely understandable. Yeah. And I think it's a character trait by, by the end of the show. Yeah. I mean, it's not that she's terrified to go home. It's that she is so traumatized she can't get the blood out of her carpet which i mean i get pissed and aggravated when i can't get the latest like hairball puke out of the carpet or the latest lick fest out of my couch so i can i can imagine the trauma that seeing the blood of somebody who was savagely murdered in your home would be plus it would smell right and must you be so gross Everyone with pets knows what I'm talking about. Yes, but I would prefer to not think about those things. I've just eaten. Tough shit. So did I. Package deal. The pets come with the partnership. Damn you. So yeah, I think it would smell as well, right? Probably. And she's scared. Mm. I I mean, she went through hell. I wouldn't want to go back to that place either. So yeah. Foggy's like, all right, you and me, let's go hit the town. Which is sweet. It is. It is. We'll get into where I find it not so sweet. We'll talk yeah, about yeah. his enabling yeah, behavior. Yeah, I have things to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I think they're going to be similar things. <laughs> so while those two decide... Maybe not, actually. Okay, we shall see. Mm-hmm. While those two decide to go paint the town red, Claire is busy telling Matt, you know, your outfit kind of sucks. <laughs> I can't really disagree with her. I like that her her priorities are right. Yeah. Yeah. Fashion on the brain, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's bleeding and dying and could possibly literally die on her couch. And 
all she's worried about is your costume could be improved. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. I am of two minds on this. One, she is right. It's a pretty shitty vigilante costume because it's just kind of haphazardly mm-hmm. thrown together. But number two, I want to eat him with a spoon in those pants. <laughs> Well, um, Matt isn't exactly the best when it comes to branding. (laughs) He also can't see what the hell he's wearing. That's a part of the problem, too. That's true, yes. I I literally did not think of that till just just now. Trust someone who is into this kind of stuff to realize that. I mean, they put their name board on cardboard. This is true. Yeah, Foggy does mention that. Like, maybe we should get a real side. But, I mean, keep in mind, that's all they can afford. That's true. But Matt seems like he can afford better clothes, at least. He's got other priorities. That's true. Yes. Like getting himself beaten up. Yeah. And, um, at the moment, breathing. That is true. Yes. Which is a little tough to do. Because his hmm. lungs start filling lung up. collapsing. Yeah. And his lung is, is yeah. collapsing. And <sighs> breathe, Krista, breathe. That means that. Yeah, your lungs are fine, right? Oh, that means that Claire has to shove a giant needle or tube in his chest. Just a, just a needle, not you. And again, what do we have against the anesthetic on this show, anybody? Come on. <laughs> Give me a break, please. It's an emergency. In this situation, I get it because it's an emergency situation and the anesthetic would take time by the time he would go hypoxic. I know, but uh, for my sake, think about me, Netflix. That's what it's about. (laughs) Charlie Cox does an amazing job here. The sound effects of the breathing, yes, the wheezing, Uh, very good. Yeah, I fully believed he could not get a breath. Yeah, and even after she put the needle and the lung uh, inflated again when he was taking his breath again very well done yeah again doing his research yeah once Matt has his breath back here we get a little more information like obviously Claire wants to know how the hell he ended up in that dumpster so and I think she's owed that yeah and more than anything she wants to know who the fuck he is right so at this point we find out that the Russians led Matt into a trap That was the whole reason they kidnapped that boy at the end of the first episode. Yes. So yeah, they kidnapped this kid knowing that Matt would come and try to save him. And they figure, well, after that's done, we take out the masked man. We'll just sell the kid into slavery. Yeah. Real nice guys, you know, really looking out for the kid's future. (laughs) This actually had me a little confused because in the previous episode, they were selling women. And now they're interested in boys, young boys. There's always a market, eh? I know, but generally one specializes. Yeah, but the point is, the real purpose of the kid is to draw Matt out. The fact that they'll sell him is just kind of gravy. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think they went with a young boy specifically, knowing that that would 100% ensure that Matt would come as quickly as possible. A child. Yeah, a young boy is someone that he would relate to in any way. Right. No matter who he is. So Matt's basically, you know, telling Claire how he was trying to deal with the Russians and whatnot. And (laughs) I love what she says to him. She is so brutally honest. Like, no offense, but you don't seem to be very good at it. (laughs) 
And I mean, we know what Matt's capable of, but I totally see her point. Yeah, I mean, her first introduction to him is dumpster diving. (laughs) That's one way to put it, yeah. (laughs) But conveniently at that moment, Matt shows her that he is more than a regular human, but not quite superhuman when he realizes that one of the Russians is in the building. Yeah, and it quite understandably freaks her out. Yeah, well, this is awesome because not only can he hear the dude several floors away, he can fucking smell his cologne. Yeah, like how much cologne is he wearing? Well, a guy like that probably took a bath at it to begin with. Thugs and bad cologne is kind of a common trope. (laughs) You know. Yeah. But for Matt to be able to hear them, to hear him coming, it's impressive in and of itself. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. And what's great is that they don't have to do anything or they choose not to do anything fancy with it. They just slow things down a little bit. There's no crazy CGI anything. There's no like dumbass fake blood type of shit like the Incredible Hulk. It's just slowed down. enhanced just a little bit and charlie cox does a really good job at evoking it too just himself yeah he makes it believable Mm -hmm. in the sound design they basically get rid of any and all other miscellaneous sounds and just concentrate on that muffled voice coming from that dude right and that's a great way to show that that's exactly how matt does it yes exactly they they put us in his head Mm mm-hmm which is very well done. Otherwise, it could come across as cheesy. Absolutely. So Matt has to come up with a plan really quick. And at that point, we get another flashback to a time when Matt overheard another conversation as a kid. Right. So these two bookies are essentially telling Jack, that's Matt's father, to take a dive in the fifth round. Yeah. And we should say uh, these bookies are working for the Irish mob. Right. Yes. I mean, this is this is New York in the late 80s, early 90s. The mob's everywhere still. Yeah. And they do have that very prominent accent. Matt is sitting at a table a little ways away and he is working with his new Braille tablets. Books. Right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. They are they are books, just not books like we're used to. Right. Braille books. And I think it's also a testament to Matt's intelligence. He hasn't been blind all that long to this point, and he is making fast work of Braille. Yeah, exactly. Then again, this is another show, don't tell. They're showing us that he is a smart guy. Right. Irrespective of whether he can see or not. And another thing that a little detail is that when when Jack is practicing and the round ends, the dude hits the bell and we see Matt flinch from that super loud noise. Yes. Yeah, he's still adjusting. So it's recent. Yeah, he's adjusting. And right from then, he had developed that super hearing, which is why he could hear the Italians speaking to his dad. Right. The Irish. Do you want to get us both killed? (laughs) (laughs) The bookies speaking to his dad. And I'll say it again, this kid playing young Matt is so good. The look on his face when he realizes what his dad's been doing. 
Yeah. Very subtle. Yeah. It's just his world isn't going to be the same after that. That's the moment that he finds out his dad isn't the guy he thinks he is. That's the moment where his dad is no longer the superhero in his mind. Yeah. That's his fall. Yeah. All right. So back in present day, Claire takes charge of the situation, which good, because Matt can barely fucking stand up. Yeah. And his first instinct is, of course, stabby stabby. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this is one of those times where female energy and women's intuition can really come in handy. And, you know, (laughs) this is like the definition of toxic masculinity. Dude, you're going to die if you attempt to do this right now. Let the woman handle it for a minute. (laughs) And why is it necessary for him to go stabby stabby when it's her house and he's going to come and ask her questions? Why would you immediately go into attack mode when there is nothing to attack yet? Well, stabby stabby is kind of his default and he knows it's a bad guy. True. Yes. But still. Now, I say, dude, let the woman handle this. However... The woman does not handle this. (laughs) (laughs) She does a decent enough job, but... No, she doesn't, because he doesn't believe her. He doesn't, but she... she, uh, uh, But let's put it this way. She's not a nervous wreck. No. We don't know what tipped him off, but something did. She's an ER nurse. I would fully expect her to be able to handle herself in a situation like this. True, yeah. You know what the scene reminded me of? I'm sure you have not seen but i'll just double check anyway die hard with a vengeance yes i have seriously you surprise me partner i have seen all the die hard movies oh i'm sorry there's only two good ones (laughs) (laughs) die hard 2 is just kind of so so die hard 3 i love the ones after that should never have been made anyway so in die hard 3 when when bruce willis gets over to the bank and jeremy irons his crew the Gruber crew is kind of taking over and they're pretending to be cops. And they're, it's just the worst pretense in the world because they're all like fucking seven foot tall Germans. And <laughs> he gets into the elevator with this fake cop who's like, oh, you know, trying to come up with all these American idioms. He's like, oh, it's it's raining dogs and cats. It's like, really? <laughs> Could we be more heavy handed? Anytime I see somebody who's like foreign pretending to be a, uh, an American cop, that's what I think of. Okay. Well, this guy was pretty decent. Like at one point you would maybe probably believe he was a cop. Most people wouldn't. He has a fake badge. You put enough authority in your voice, you can convince anybody of anything. Yeah, that's true. So we're left hanging for a minute while... Claire and Matt are coming up with a plan B here. And we head over to Foggy and Karen, who are not making the best choices. At least in my opinion. <laughs> sure, you would say that. I would kill for a drink right now. Well, I don't drink. I can't drink, even if I wanted to. So I've never been one to go bar hopping and I also don't like people so I wouldn't really see the fun in it (laughs) um I'm not a bar hopping kind of person but I do enjoy heading to the bar and having a couple of drinks and having a good time yes I think we all sorely need that at this point in time cue me curling up at a ball on my couch with a kindle and a blanket over my head 
Oh, don't get don't get me wrong. I enjoy that too. Yes, but once in a while, it's good to go out and have some fun. So I understand that Foggy is trying to be uh, a good guy and helping Karen out. Uh huh. But he is trying to flirt with her, uh-huh. which is is very painfully bad. Uh-huh. And secondly, he is not being a very professional boss. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. You're being serious or sarcastic? I'm being entirely serious. That had not even okay. crossed my mind. You know why? Because they're both, I don't think of them as boss and employee. I see them as equals. But you're right, they're not. Yeah, and they do riff off each other that, you know, she's his secretary and all of that. One minute they're talking like that and the next minute he's flirting with her badly and getting her drunk. That's not good good employer-employee relationship. You're right. I hadn't seen it that way because him and Matt are like barely lawyers at this point. I have trouble <laughs> taking them seriously. Exactly. He's a freaking lawyer. He should know better. You're right. You're right. See, here's the way I saw it. I don't think... I understand, just like Matt's dad, his heart's in the right place. He's trying to help a friend who's become close quickly. But, so this won't happen often with this show, but I have a major problem with this whole bar scene between Foggy and Karen. Why? I don't think Foggy is helping Karen make the best decisions here. So, you know, it's one thing to go out, get tipsy after, you know, something major, like, let's say you've just passed the bar exam. Let's use Foggy as an example. And you're like, oh my God, the stress of these last months studying for this. I need to just go out tonight, have some drinks, have a release, have fun. That's totally fine. But I feel like this show is downplaying with, with this whole scene here. I feel like the writers are downplaying the level of trauma that Karen has gone through. This woman has legitimate PTSD and that is not going to be solved by drinking all night. Yeah. It's not a one-time stress release kind of thing. And they're making it seem like, um, Foggy's just taking around drinking all night. Not a good idea. The level of trauma she's dealing with is only going to be exacerbated by this kind of thing yeah but he's telling her to go out one night as a decompression thing he's not telling her to go every night right sometimes even though when you're wallowing you do need to go out have a bit of fun that doesn't mean that that she doesn't need therapy or need to you know face the ptsd that she's probably experiencing I agree. But my point is, it never does get addressed. That's a thing that can be said for pretty much 90% of the shows. Mental health is never addressed. People go through all sorts of shit. It's not a problem particular to Daredevil. That's true. Yeah, this is a problem in the entertainment media as a whole. Mental health doing the healthy thing, coping and speaking to a therapist is never something that is 
addressed or even when it is addressed, it's looked upon as a bad thing, a weak thing. How many times have we seen cop shows where the cop, the tough guy goes to the therapist and he is aggressive and refusing to speak and open up and the therapist just happily sits there quietly waiting for him to open up and all of a sudden hitting some bad guys and he's good good as new yeah and that has to change that has to change but this is not a daredevil problem this is a hollywood problem so back at casa declare matt has to think on his feet very quickly here (laughs) and this is awesome and this is again another kind of Claire's freaking out like how the fuck does he know being blind that this guy's going to show up and he'll drop the extinguisher on him yeah and that was so funny when she's like when he had first come to she was like you're in you're either in way worse shape than I think you are or you're blind (laughs) good call Claire so they take this guy up to the roof and this whole atmosphere It's a lot like Gotham City in the DC verse. It's gritty and raw, but I think it's so much more realistic. Yeah, it's not a comic book place. And again, it is too dark. It is too dark, yeah. And I mean, everybody knows that Gotham City is supposed to be New York, but because Hell's Kitchen really is New York, I think that does make a difference. Wait, hold on. Gotham City is supposed to be New York? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I kind of thought, but I didn't know. All right. And two, I like the use of the rooftop. Yes. Because that's something, that's something people, that's something that people in the city do. Yeah. So it's a normal thing for Matt to think of to do. And also it's high enough to kill somebody. Yeah, that's true. Which is also important in this particular instance. (laughs) So, yeah, I do like the transition for this particular scene where we transition from Foggy and Karen to Matt, where he's interrogating this dude on the roof. And they use the same water tower as an anchoring point that they're in the same vicinity. Right. Yeah. And it's an interesting contrast as to what, you know, each duo is doing at the moment. Yeah. So once Matt has this guy strung up here, he has another flashback. This is both incredibly sad and absolutely infuriating to me at the same time. I get the sad part, but why is it infuriating? Because there had to be another way, Jack. (laughs) Jesus, there had to be another way besides orphaning your child. Yeah, I get that. And okay, first off, he's been doing this for a while. He's been taking falls losing on purpose for a while Mm -hmm. why is he suddenly having a change of heart just because he wants his son to hear people cheer for him he could do that in the next game i don't think so i think it's more than that i think he's been ashamed of himself for doing this for a while and he can't live with it anymore that doesn't mean you get yourself killed oh agree a hundred percent i also think another part of it is he thinks well i've got this now disabled child who's going to need more resources and help than I can provide with the money that I'll ever be able to bring in. 
So let me try and set him up in the best way I know how. And this makes it extra sad because Jack is also undervaluing himself as a human being. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And winning from one match is not going to set someone up for life. Well, at all. Keep it okay. Keep in mind money is relative. This is not this is a working class guy who's never had much money in his life. So a big payday to him might not be a big payday to you or to me. Two, we don't actually know how much money it is. I don't understand gambling. I don't understand odds and betting and all that stuff. It depends on how much money was put on him and what the odds were and all that. So we don't know how much money we're talking here. But the sad, the super sad thing is Jack doesn't realize it's like, dude, you guys will get by money wise. You're a you're a scrapper. You're a survivor, Jack. You'll find a way for your kid. He doesn't need all that money. He needs you, you idiot. Yeah, precisely. And, you know, we should uh, we should be specific here. Jack decides to double cross the bookies and do his best to win the match. Yeah, which he does. And can we just say here, everybody, whatever you're into, never cross a bookie. <laughs> Bad idea. But don't even don't get involved with loan sharks. Just not wise. Mm. No, just w- words of wisdom from the Marvelous Madams, because we know anything about bookies. <laughs> yeah, we're pro gamblers. Yeah. So question, can you tell me, because I don't remember, who is Jack calling on the phone here? Is it his sister? Is it Matt's mother? Yes, Matt's mother. Okay. So Jack is basically telling her like, look, you're going to have to step up. Matt's going to need you. Yeah. So... Clearly, we know that he knows the consequences of his actions. Yes. And he's still taking it. Of course. Anybody in that world knows you cross the mob, you're dead. Yeah. So you can't even blame it on him being stupid. Sure, I can. He's stupid, but in a different way. What do you mean? He, he's not stupid enough to not realize the consequences of his actions, but he's stupid enough to think that it's worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so what he's doing is then he he's making another call to set it up so that the winnings that he receives can be immediately transferred and put into an account in Matt's name. Right, yeah. And I got to ask too, this seems a little short-sighted. How is Matt going to find out about this money? Exactly. He's a young kid. Uh, naturally, his father, being his legal guardian, will be the one who will be able to access that money. And... Uh, Matt won't be able to access it till he's an adult. Maybe. Depends. Back then, things were were different, though, back in the late 80s, early 90s. So who even knows? Well, yeah, true. But how would he know? Yeah. How how is it? How do we know that that payday is good enough for Matt and all his future problems that he may have being disabled now? Very true. And here's the other thing about the mob. When you steal from them, they go looking for it. Yeah, exactly. So who's to say that they won't manage to somehow swindle the money out of that account? Yeah. Or or not get not let it reach there in the first place. Right. I mean, Jack could even unwittingly be putting a target on his kids back. Exactly. There's just yeah. so many problems with this plan. Bottom line, 
Jack is stupid. Yeah, absolutely. No way around it. Yeah. I think he got knocked in the head too many times to make rational sense of anything that he's doing. You know who else is stupid? Foggy when he's foggy when he's drunk. (laughs) I think that is the human condition when you're drunk. Well, I tell you this, I could not relate to Foggy and Karen being drunk and obnoxious in that moment, but I sure related to that pissed off neighbor. (laughs) Yeah, I recognized her from Desperate Housewives. She played a pretty pissed off person there as well. Yeah, if you're going to be anywhere orbiting my vicinity and you disrupt my sleep, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) But yeah, I got the stupidity that they were doing. I understand that. It's not something that I personally would do to go bang on someone's door while I'm drunk. But yeah, I can see that happening. I get that. Yeah, in my world, the only being who gets away with that is my tub of a cat who starts throwing her fat ass against the door at 4 a.m. every day, waiting for her single scoop of wet food. (laughs) So these two idiots finally accept the fact that Matt is not home or just doesn't want to deal with them. Either way, nobody's answered the door. Yeah, and they're too drunk to realize that considering how good his hearing is, maybe... They should investigate rather than just scream their lungs out. Yeah, they're a little too drunk for that. Yeah. Matt's not drunk, though. Well, maybe a little. Drunk on power, vengeance, maybe? I think he's a, he may not be drunk, but he's certainly lightheaded with the blood loss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he and Claire, who's wearing this ridiculous, like, ski mask over her face... <laughs> It's not even a ski mask. She just took uh, something and made two holes in it. Yeah, she looks like an eight-year-old wearing a ghost costume on Halloween. Yeah, thank you. It's like, he knows who she is. He went to her apartment. He saw her face. Like, he's not stupid. He knows who she is. Yeah, and he can hear her voice. Yeah. And see the boobs. Yeah, exactly. Those are tough to hide. Yeah. And she's also pretty damn tall. That's true, yes. And let's not forget that Claire is giving Matt anatomically correct information on how to torture someone. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. (laughs) This scene will wake you up in the morning faster than a cup of coffee, let me tell you. (laughs) Or sober you up really quickly. Yeah, depending on which perspective of this you're coming from. Yeah. Um, Mm. Claire, let's... Matt, no. Oh, hey, if you take this knife and shove it up this guy's nose, he'll let you know the spot. <laughs> Not nose, eye. Oh, his eye, eye socket. See, this is what I mean. I was watching through my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm good with this kind of stuff. You know yeah. what really got me about but, this was that she's telling Matt, oh, there's this particular spot. This particular nerve that if you go through his eye with this knife and you hit it, um, yeah, for me at least, it doesn't have to be a particular spot. The knife in my eye just by itself will be enough. Just, just looking at the knife. (laughs) He's bypassing the eyeball. Uh, Which, uh, which, and then going in through the orbital socket. (gasps) 
Um, should I be you, more graphic? Why, why <laughs> do you know the phrase orbital socket? Why do you even know that? I plead the fifth. Where are the bodies, Amy? Where are the bodies? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> don't even pull the I live in a depart- high-rise apartment crap. Dennis Nielsen lived in an apartment and he buried bodies under his floorboards and in his cabinets. Thank you for the tip. You're welcome. Anyway, so needless to say, this tactic works. Yeah, but I must say, she has a lot of trust in a blind dude to get the right nerve and bypass the eye and get into the orbital socket. You know, I think he's proven himself pretty capable at this point that the blindness really doesn't stand in his way. That's true. So I don't think I don't think that's much of an issue anymore. Yeah, she trusts him really quickly. Yeah, so this is when he divulges like, yeah, we took the kid as a trap. The kid's still being held hostage. Yeah. And, you know, the way he's talking about Fisk and how he's got his hands and everything, like we talked about last episode, Union Allied is without a doubt the Hydra of this show. Yeah, I get that. Yes. But interestingly, but uh, we have to note that Fisk has not been mentioned yet. His name has not been mentioned. Right. It's great. Yeah. We know who he is just because we've seen the show. Yeah, and we're going to get to that point later on. It's very well done regarding uh, saying his name. Yeah. So we have this interesting dynamic here continuing between Matt and Claire. Matt says, I enjoy hurting people. And I'm not sure if I believe him. You know, Claire even says it to him, too. Like, I don't believe you. Yeah. I think there is a kernel of truth, but not as much as he was trying to show that guy before he threw them threw him in the dumpster yeah i think a big part of it is a facade and i think he enjoys getting hurt more than he enjoys hurting others yeah i think he's been punishing himself and paying a penance he doesn't owe since he was a child and then just when you think everything's going to be okay that maybe they'll let this guy go and send him back let him be a messenger or whatever from the man in the mask something like that that just pushes him over into the dumpster yeah but he survives yeah well, Matt Claire's a bit surprised, but he can of, of of course hear his heartbeat. Right. Well, I mean, it's beating for that moment. There's no guarantee it's going to keep beating. Hence, he said he will survive. Maybe. That, well, yeah. I mean, Matt isn't a doctor, right? But I suppose, uh, in his mind, as long as he survives right now, that's good enough. Yeah. Let's forget the fact that he might have a rib poke it into his lung or something like that any number of things that could kill the guy or even just blood loss Uh, let's not forget he's he's got a hole in his eye yeah well he wouldn't lose too much blood from there and as for the rib poking into a lung or something like that matt would be able to hear the squelching and the struggling of the lung oh god don't say squelching (laughs) i purposely used that word first it was leeching (laughs) now it's squelching god you're the worst (laughs) I am, I am. So after this, we get another flashback. And, oh, this is really just gut-wrenching. Like so many other times, Matt is listening to one of his dad's fights. But this is the first time he actually gets to hear his dad winning. Yeah. 
and he is so excited. Ugh, it's so damn sad. Yeah, but the poor boy doesn't realize what at what cost. Right. He's so he's so full of pride in that moment for his father. Ugh. Hmm. And because too, do you think Matt realized his dad decided to pull a double cross? No. Because he overheard, well, here's the thing. He overheard that conversation that his dad was going to take a dive. Yes, he did. And he was disappointed. But we need to remember that Matt, at that age, he was he was really young. Yeah, but he's also a smart kid. I'm not saying he would have put it together that his dad was a dead man. I'm just wondering if there was extra pride in it for him because he thought, oh, my dad said, screw that, and decided to win this thing like I always knew he could. Yeah, that is definitely there. But I don't think he realized that his dad has double-crossed and there will be consequences to that. Agreed. Yeah. And the look on Jack's face, too, when he hears the crowd chanting for him. Yeah. Ugh. It makes me wonder if that was the only time in his life he had ever been proud of himself. Yeah, possibly. I I can see that. But it also makes me wonder if this guy was capable of taking what we know that uh, his opponent was supposed to be a big deal. If he was capable of taking his opponent down in the first round, why was he constantly being told to take a dive? And why wasn't he being groomed to be the next big thing? He could have taken his career. It could have taken his career places. Well, one, I think there's a couple of factors here. One, it can be more lucrative to take a dive if you're working with racketeers. Two, I think knowing that this was going to be his last fight ever, he was probably fighting with an incredible focus and intensity, especially knowing what it was going to do for his son. I don't think this was a normal fight for him. Okay, that's fair. Number three, this is not a young man. This is a guy easily pushing 40. Right. Time's up. Okay, so this makes sense. This guy is past his prime. So when he was younger, he probably was the big guy, the the guy to defeat. And now the reason why the bookies are interested in making him take a dive in order to make money is because people still expect him to win. Maybe. That's the only way, right? They, that if the odds are in his favor and he f- loses, the bookies make a lot of money. I honestly don't know enough about gambling and boxing as a whole. I actually hate boxing. I can't okay, I can stomach see you hating it. Yeah, I can't stomach. N- number one, I don't understand why two people would ever want to beat the shit out of each other and get the shit beaten out of them for a living. <laughs> Number two, mm-hmm. I cannot deal with the combination of blood, sweat, and spit. Okay. It's disgusting. Right. I can't do it. Okay. I just want to say that I know the basics of gambling. I'm not a gambler or anything of that sort. I've never gambled in my life, but I knew, know about it theoretically. That being said, if I'm wrong, please correct me. So yeah, now I get it. Now I get why he's being paid to lose and why he's working with the bookies and this could probably be the first time that Matt remembers the f- the crowds cheering for him yeah could be memory's a funny thing 
Not only that, because if Matt Matt's younger, Jack would be younger too, and he would have at that time been in his prime. But Matt would have been too young to remember. True, he would have been a baby. True. So Jack knows he's a dead man here, and sure enough, on his way home, he's shot alone in an alley, and that just that made it worse for me. Something about a stinking, gross alley, dying alone there, hmm. and Matt hears the shot. And just and he comes running to I teared up when he is just standing there screaming, daddy, daddy, daddy. Oh, my God. And and it what you know what it was because he wasn't saying dad. Yeah, it was something about the daddy that was so childlike that got me. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Which is exactly why they use it. Yeah, you're right. And because it's a boy, because it takes longer for boys to stop saying daddy, I think, than it does girls. True. So for a boy of that age to revert, and that's exactly what he does. He reverts to daddy. Oh, it also reminds us of the previous episode where the young boy is shouting daddy for his dad while he's being kidnapped. Yes. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. But I got to say, there was like 10% of the true crime nerd in me who was yelling at those cops like, get that kid away from his father. He's contaminating the goddamn crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it would have made a difference at that time with the Irish mob. I know, I know. It's not like they would have solved the case. Yeah, nobody's going to be looking twice into that murder. Exactly. But still, it's a matter of principle. <laughs> and you ask me, how do I know orbital socket? That's fair. Okay. <laughs> Point taken. So we head back to present day and Matt is now on a mission. He has to get this boy back from the Russians. Yes. This fight scene is brilliant. (laughs) Okay. Let me tell you, I, like I said, did not remember any details about this show, but I remembered this fucking fight sequence because when this came out, I believe it broke the internet. Yeah, it did. And this was done in one shot. Yeah. The camera never cuts away. Yes. It is one of the best fight sequences you will ever see on a screen. Yeah, it is fantastic. And how exhausting it must have been for Charlie Cox. Yeah, because that's him. Yeah, it is. He's doing it. And yeah, he is just mowing these guys down like fucking bowling pins. They keep coming mm. and he just keeps battling them back. And that's the word for it, battling, because he is swaying on his feet. Yeah, He is yeah, tired he is. and injured and doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. He just has to get through that door. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing is going to stop him. He's like a fucking bulldozer at that point. Yeah. And, you know, I said it before. I'll say it again. He is not a big guy. So it just makes it all the more compelling that he is able to take down this many of this many dudes. Most of whom are bigger than him. Yeah. It's incredible. Did you find this scene claustrophobic? The hallway, right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. That adds an element, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's so narrow and there's no place to maneuver. And you can see that he he does have a few fancy moves, but for the most part, it's just flat out brawling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just grit and determination to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. It's very gritty. I love this, this fight sequence. Yeah. Now, the final scene we get here is, and it's so sweet the way you hear Matt talking to this boy saying, you don't have to be scared. I've got you. 
Yeah, and and notice that he takes his mask off before he goes in. Right. Right. No need to scare the kid any further. Right. Now, I need to say something here. So my husband and I do not have children. We do not want children. I have never wanted children. I don't have that desire in me. My little fur balls are more than enough for me to handle. I've never been one of those women who's longed for a baby, anything like that, or thought it's super hot when guys play with kids, that kind of thing. That's never been an appeal for me. However, Charlie Cox carrying this boy down the hallway is one of the sexiest things I have ever seen in my life. Seriously? Yes. I can't explain it. I don't know why. But again, just the drool just dripping down my chin. Something about it. It's probably just him and the fact that he's very defined in this particular scene. No, it's more than that. It's the fact that he is so tired. He is so exhausted. He probably wants nothing more in that moment to just fall to the floor and rest for a while. He's hurt. He's badly injured. Nonetheless, he summons up the strength somehow to carry this child. Yeah, we can see him adjusting a little bit. There is, yeah. Adjusting the kid. Yeah, there's something, I'm not saying I'm proud of it. There's something primal about it. There's a certain amount of masculinity there that despite the fact that I called it toxic earlier, it absolutely is. And (laughs) I feel it is what it is. I can't deny the stirring that caused for me just knowing that this was... I mean, it's so goddamn heroic. (laughs) How can you not find that attractive, you know? Is someone being very moist right now? God. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just, my foot is all the way down my throat right now. It's, (laughs) there's no pulling it back out. It's. It's surprising you can even form words at this point. I'm being honest, though. Can I get credit for that? (laughs) Okay. You do get that credit. I have nothing to say about that. I mean, it didn't affect me either way. It's sweet. And we can see he's struggling uh, with the kid at that point. I get that. I mean, I've carried kids, too, and they can be heavy sometimes. Yeah, that's all I have to say. I think that's part of it, too. He didn't have to carry him. It's not like a kid's a toddler, you know? He did it so the kid would feel safer. True. And it would also be more, it would also be quicker. Yeah. Like the kid would walk out holding his hand and he'd see all these guys unconscious or dead. He's not going to keep walking all over them. Right. He'll be scared. He will want to be carried. Right. So the fact that Matt's thinking about that too in the moment, thinking about this kid's well-being in every possible way, you know? It, That's exactly why he's there. <sighs> <sighs> okay. Yeah. Get yourself some cold water <laughs> before we continue. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll take a quick break. You know, you can shower and come back. Well, that wraps up episode two here of Daredevil because clearly I need to stop recording and go take a shower. <laughs> Don't forget cold. Yes, yes. If you have any thoughts about Charlie Cox carrying children or anything else, Daredevil, 
You can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. And, you know, I also just want to say, kill me, Netflix. The man's name is Cox. Could it be anything else? <laughs> anything else? God. And I was waiting for that. I was, you know, I, I was internally counting episodes to how long you would last. <laughs> Two. Which... Yeah. Not great, not <laughs> terrible. <laughs> On that note, thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for episode three of Daredevil. If for some reason you enjoy listening to us and you'd like an exclusive bonus <laughs> episode about how Amy and I met and started the podcast, join our email list and we'll send you the link. Sign up on our website, themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. But in this case, it's the point. They are, is, they're telling you that the Italian, that no, their accent no, is no, such no, that no. you immediately know. No, no, no. Do not confuse no, what, no. the Irish yeah, yeah, and yeah. Italian My mistake, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, my mistake. You'll be sleeping with the fishes if you do. <laughs> Boyo. <laughs>